Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's the week that was with Joe Palmasano. It is April 20th, 2019, and I wish you a happy and blessed Easter and Passover. Um, I don't know if many people, if you think about this very often, but it's interesting that at this time, this weekend, um, we celebrate, uh, there's a special events for Christian and Jewish faiths. We're both celebrating a freedom and redemption marked by blood on the same weekend. The Passover commemorates the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. The Bible tells the story that God helped the children of Israel escape from their slavery in Egypt by inflicting ten plagues on the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Uh, The tenth plague was the worst. It was the death of the Egyptian firstborn, any Egyptian firstborn. The Israelites then were instructed to mark the doorposts of their homes with the blood of a slaughtered spring lamb. And upon seeing this, the Spirit of the Lord knew to pass over those homes. Hence the English name of the holiday. Easter, for those around the world, for those of us of the Christian faith, is also celebrating the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Similarly marked those who believe in him, his death and resurrection, with forgiveness from sin and judgment. Uh, we often don't think of how those two events are intertwined. Jesus was actually, in many accounts, was celebrating Passover, and the and the uh, some people I don't know if it's depicted in the Bible. I don't think it is specifically, but that Passover meal was could have actually been the Last Supper. Uh, you know, it's amazing how intertwined they are and yet how they separate us. Uh, if you are like me <clears throat> to start the show today, and I hope for your sake you're not like me, except for this one case, you may be a bit frustrated by the lack of details and the hows and whys of the Sylvia McGee tragic death. I have many questions concerning how the juvenile justice system works and how the prosecution and conviction take place. I ha- it's kind of a slower pace. We don't even we're not even allowed to use the name of the 
person that has been indicted or accused or whatever. So today, I hope to get all those questions answered. At 9 o'clock, I will speak live with Summit County Attorney Don Hicks. Mr. Mr. Hicks has over 36 years as a trial lawyer, conducting over 250 jury trials. He is certified by the Ohio Supreme Court to serve as both a trial counsel and an appellate counsel in death penalty cases and has defended many individuals in serious felonies and death penalty cases throughout Ohio. If anyone can answer our question regarding juvenile cases, it is Attorney Don Hicks, and we're going to speak with him at 9 and hopefully get all those questions answered. Uh, Also this week in the news, Attorney General William Barr obviously released the redacted Mueller report Thursday after his press conference. In a nutshell, it ended any speculation that anyone in America colluded with Russia or any other government to influence an election. It also cleared anyone of obstruction of justice, and we're going to take time today to analyze it analyze this report, and and also look at the deeper implications as we continue with this. The Cathedral of Notre Dame this week uh, caught on fire, was damaged, uh, much of it was destroyed. Most of the relics and, and everything, in the, the important inside thing, the relics, uh, the historical documents and things, most of those were uh, saved. After 12 hours, the fire was finally extinguished. But as we mourn the destruction of this great uh, cathedral, probably one of the greatest cathedrals in, in Christianity in history, we must also discuss a much wider concern that is going on with little notice or little coverage. And, um, you know, there's one other story that I want to get into today, and I did some research into this. We hear so much in this country of how we should tax the rich uh, and how they should pay, pay their fair share, a topic that is being used by a lot of people running for president in 2020. These people often cite... Uh, the health care situation in Canada and how Canada is able to cover people. They also cite many, much of, and, and Bernie Sanders uses Denmark a lot, as shining examples of how this works. But what is the truth? This past week I actually looked into how Canada and Denmark and Finland and others afford and pay for free health care, free college, and more. Now, I don't think it's a bad idea to do, but how do these countries do it? Do they do it by just taxing the rich? We'll look into it. At the end, you can ask yourself if you're willing to accept that here in the United States. There are many other stories, as time permits. Um, uh, How about a mother taking her son, a five-year-old boy, to the Mall of America early morning on an early morning excursion and some stranger walks up and throws the boy off a third floor balcony. 
absolutely blows me away. There are many more stories like that. We will talk some sports with John Bazika. We'll get into the Brown schedule and we'll get into more stuff. Uh, we will have our trifecta contest, the latest news, and more as the week that was continues. Yeah, it is contest time, but before that, I do have to mention this. That commercial. First of all, I've always wanted to go there. Oh, it's uh, definitely. Have you uh, been there? I haven't, but I, I imagine it's fascinating. Could Don't they have an overnight one where you stay there overnight? I think so. But I, could you imagine a commercial, that commercial, <laughs> 40 years ago, John? 40 years ago. Spend some time at the Ohio State Reformatory. <laughs> really? No. It's a blast behind bars. <laughs> yes. Spend some time at the Ohio State Reformatory. I could just see it now. You have like somebody come on that's like, please let me out of here. <laughs> I know. I spend some time at Alcatraz. <laughs> spend I, some time with the Birdman of Alcatraz. I we know. promise he's not crazy. I know. The the um <laughs> I just I want to do that one day. I really want to go down there. Spend, spend some time at the Ohio State Reformatory. Yeah. <laughs> because I know I could get out. That's a that's a bit of. That's a actually what it is. Is that you have to try to escape like Andy Dufresne? Wouldn't that did. be funny? No, I wouldn't want to do that. You saw what he had to crawl. You have through. to climb through the. No, I'm not the doing pipe that. of crap. I'm for not doing yards. that. I'm not doing that. Anyway, yes, it's contest time. You know what? I tried. I did. I wanted to make this a uh, Easter and Passover trivia contest. Because it is Easter and Passover. Um, and you know what I found odd? I tried to find Easter trivia, and I had to wade through page after page after page of rabbits and eggs. And I'm like, really? I had to finally put in religious Easter trivia in order to get... <laughs> Some trivia. It was sad. How many peeps can the average? I know. That's what it was. It was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, all right. Here are your trivia questions. And they are re- they are Passover and Easter related. Here are the answers. I'm sorry. The questions will come later. And you will win uh, a pair of VIP tickets. This is really a pretty good prize. VIP tickets to North-South Classic at Paul Brown Tiger Stadium next Saturday. It's a high school football all-star game, but listen to this. You get a VIP press box access across from the home side, along with a buffet lunch, dinner, and soft drinks. The games are from noon, are noon and 4. So go to whb.com for details. So if you're a football nut, you get one pair of tickets, two tickets, to see the North-South Classic at the VIP Press Box Access lunch, dinner, and soft drinks. That's pretty nice. And here are your answers for today. First answer is Seder. Seder. It's pronounced S-E-D, I mean, it's spelled S-E-D-E-R, but 
it is pronounced Seder. Second answer, Joseph of Arimathea. (laughs) Joseph of Arimathea. And the third answer is Thomas. (laughs) I'd hate to be Thomas after Joseph of Arimathea comes through. So Seder, Joseph of Arimathea, and Thomas. Those are your three answers for today. Later on in the show, I will give you the questions. If you can match them up, you will win. Um, I think we have a couple minutes. I want to get in. Uh, can, can you believe this marks the 20th anniversary of Columbine this week? It also, this week, was the 12th anniversary of the killings at Virginia Tech. Wow. Now, think about where we were 20 years ago. How shocking and how unbelievable Columbine was. How it was two weeks of news and on people's minds and, and everything. And think of where we have come today 20 years later or something like that happens it's news for like three days and then it's done at least maybe three days yeah maybe they're lucky and it's in our thoughts maybe a day yeah it's, i mean it's become you hate to say it but it's become commonplace for something like that to happen yeah and that yeah. was at that time columbine was the largest mass murder in the history of the united states since then virginia tech beat it the nightclub incident beat it. Obviously, you know, more and more things have happened. But tw- 20 years ago, Columbine. I was going to say, opposed to having the conversation of trying to end that, the conversation I always hear, I mean, people are trying to end it from, from happening, but that's a very tough thing. And the thing that I always hear is people are worried it's going to be their town next. Yeah. It's like that that shouldn't be the way that it's thought of that hey I'm worried it's going to come to our town next and someone's going to do that here but in today's world it's something you have to worry about. Well, and and again, you could look at the the weapon of choice or you could look at this really we have to look at what causes a human being to be so dark to be so hopeless, so heartless, to want to do that. A young person. I mean, can you, I can't even imagine the the anger, frustration, hopelessness of a young person that goes in to do that. We have to look at that and how, and, and what have we done as a country to cause that to happen um, in order to stop it. But I find it, and, and one of the things that, that has to change is that the shock has to be there still. And when you lose the shock and you lose the horror in these things happening, it's more easy to happen. I mean, isn't that, as we said, just because it happens so often? I mean, when something happens over and over again, it loses the shock value of what it is. It should never, though. But it all, it does. Yeah. Because it's like, it, it it's almost as if, you see it on TV. Like, I saw something this week about a shooting on TV. 
And I, I don't think anybody was, was harmed, but I mean, it was small scale and it was discussed for like five minutes and then they just moved on. Yeah. Like they just glossed over it. Well, look what happens in Chicago every weekend. I know. You know, it's crazy. Stay tuned. The week that was will continue right after this. I did get a call from someone telling me that in Luke, Luke in the book of Luke says Jesus ate Passover with his disciples. So I said, I didn't think it was in the Bible that it specifically said that. But I did get a call. Thank you. Um, Who do the Browns draft at 49? Probably best available player. I think Savage. Have you heard that kid's name? You're going to tell me more about him now. No, I'm not, because I don't know a whole lot about him. But I'm, I I know he's a safety. I know he's fast. Um, or they take, who's that? Uh, all I know is last name, Simmons, defensive tackle. Gosh, I, I, I to be honest with you, I focused so little on, on the draft, on what their draft could be because they don't have to worry about day one. I know, so isn't that amazing? I, I, I'm just going to see like, you know what's taken off the board and what continues to fall. Like I mean, there are always guys that fall that should there's, be first round picks. There's plenty of talent always in the third round where Cleveland has three picks. There's plenty of. I think they have three. Is it three thirds or no? It's one third and three fifths. Yeah, they have a lot of. <laughs> what, what comes first, one third or three fifths? <laughs> they have a lot of picks to work with, and that's why. There were the discussions midweek of whether or not John Dorsey would try to get his way back into the first round. I mean, with all those assets that he has, he could probably easily easily do it if he wanted to throw Duke Johnson in as a you know extra piece. You can't get you can't trade Duke Johnson now. There's a lot of people saying they should. Well, who do they have if if somebody something happens to Chubb? Yeah, I know. That, that's I mean, crazy. They... Until until. Uh, Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt comes in to the fold week eight. You can't trade Duke Johnson. It'd be crazy. I know a lot of people were really pleased with the picking up of Kareem Hunt. I honestly don't think the Browns really needed him. I mean, yeah, if he pans out, great, but... He's a great talent. But I agree with you. I mean, Duke Johnson and and Nick Chubb would have been fine. I actually thought they were going to use Kareem Hunt as trade bait. There was a part of me that felt that way at first, too. But John Dorsey, because he drafted him, seems hell-bent on making him work. And John Dorsey, there's two. There's kind of troubling things with John Dorsey. He drafted Kareem Hunt. Mm-hmm. He also drafted the wide receiver. Tariq Hill. Who has now had his child removed yeah. from his home. For yeah. child abuse and, and endangerment and neglect and the whole thing. Yeah, I don't think that John Dorsey always looks at the person first. I think he looks at the player first and says, I can make the person work. And I don't have a... I do have a problem with that, but I could see why you take that route because he probably thinks to himself, well, we can draft this person and, yeah, maybe they're not running on the, you know the right path right now but with work we can get them where they need to go you know they've got they've got off the field issues but we'll take care of it 
We'll make sure they get where they need to well, go. He treats it as a business. Yeah. Which is what it is. It is. You, you'd like to think that character matters. I mean, I, if, if I had, uh, you had Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill on that team, and they won, and they performed well, yeah. and they played well. Honestly, if you ask me, part of the reason why the Chiefs weren't in the Super Bowl this past year was because they didn't have Kareem Hunt. I would agree I felt with if that. they would have had Kareem Hunt, they probably would have won that game. I would agree with that. I would agree. I agree with you 100%. You know, I mean, so so yeah, he, he he drafts talent, as you said. He he works it like a business. He realizes that, you know, he realizes that what puts people in the seats is not necessarily character, but talent. People don't want to go to the Browns games to see people of high character. They want to go to the Browns games to see talent. But you know? ultimately, doesn't high character? I mean, if you look at the if you look at the teams, well, I mean, let's take New England, let's take Pittsburgh. I think New England is kind of an anomaly to that, though. Why? Because, because they have great talent. It's not great talent. But I was going to say, they don't always pick the best players. Like, a lot of times, they pick the guys that are just going to succeed. High-character people. Think but about it. But isn't that part of their system, though, too? I mean... But but they, but they how many Super Bowls have they won? What is it now? Six? Five? How That's many five. Super Bowls has, has, I think it's six, but how many, six? Uh, how many Super Bowls have the Steelers won? Six or seven or five? I think <laughs> yeah, five or six. I don't know. But, I, I, I but, don't know but, all but those the, numbers. But my point is this. When you look at Pittsburgh, you think interchangeable parts. Uh, they have talent at certain positions and stuff, but they were willing to trade away two of their top talents. And you look at Pittsburgh over the years, and it's kind of plug and play. But but they win, and they choose character over talent. New England chooses character over talent. They get guys like Mike Vrabel, who are cut by sure. a team, who come in and play multiple positions, but they're high-motor, high-character guys, and they win. I was going to say, though, New England does kind of have a little bit of a a guy that, yes, he's high character, but it bothered me that it was glossed over when he won the MVP this past year of the Super Bowl, Julian Edelman, that people just kind of forgot that he took steroids. Yeah, but that, you know what? But that, He but, didn't take steroids. He took something else. But the bottom line is, that that's not abuse. That's not... Kicking some girl? No, no, of course it's not. But that's it's not st- beating somebody up. But it's still, to me, that's still also a character thing. It kind of is. Well, he wanted to get back on the field. Yeah, it might be a care. It is a character thing, but it can't. It's be, not. It's it not can't be sev- compared no, to having your child removed sure, from your home. Sure. I, I just think the NFL has a problem with that as a whole, though. The sexual abuse, the domestic violence, the everything. But they don't have that. They don't have that at those teams. They win. don't. I, I I just think I I'm a little concerned that that John Dorsey neglects that for the talent and forgets what and doesn't play into the two franchises that I think are the most consistently good in the NFL today. In the wasn't, past, wasn't there a case with? I know Browns fans always make fun of it, but I'm I'm actually trying to talk seriously about it now. 
Ben Roethlisberger? Yeah, the case with Roethlisberger. Yeah, when he was younger. And I think had it it continued, I actually believe the Steelers would have gotten rid of him. Had it continued, had his behavior continued, they would have gotten rid of him, regardless of how good he was. Whereas I think a lot of other teams, like Kansas City, gloss over the things that Tyreek that Tyre Hill has done, although they did get rid of Kareem Hunt. Yeah. But they only got rid of him when the video surfaced. Yeah. Had that not surfaced, they probably would have never gotten rid no. of him. No. Now, we had to take a break, but when we come back, let's look at the schedule, the Browns' okay. schedule. I don't know of anything else to talk about, John. No, the Indians are... are in the middle of it. There are no Cavs. Yeah. I don't care about the NBA. You want to talk hockey? Are the, are the Penguins still in? Columbus Blue Jackets are still in. All right, we'll, we'll mention it. I just mentioned it, so I think that's it. All right, good. <laughs> we'll be back. Okay. We will address this because someone called in. Jim Brown had a troubled past. Um, you know, there was that thing about him hanging his girlfriend over the balcony or something like mm-hmm. that. That was after he played. Paul Brown would not have tolerated that. Um, nor would have. Nor would Art Modell. Or Bland Collier. No. That was after he played. Um, that was also. When you think about the time that he played, though, and, and I, I, I've been saying this a lot recently with things in the media, but because there was so little media back then, like, it, it was pretty much like. You know, just a couple places you could go to to get your news. I mean, there wasn't a Twitter, there wasn't Facebook, there right. wasn't, there just wasn't the internet. So it's like getting videos like that, like surveillance videos and things to like see stuff like that. That never happened, right? So it's like back in those times, players could have done stuff, and we never would have known about. I mean, it. think about Babe Ruth. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Good night. My grandfather, my papu, always tells the story that when he came down with, you know, the sexually transmitted disease that he had, that, you know, people would say, oh, it's because he wasn't feeling well. My grandfather was like, everyone knew he had the clap. I mean, (laughs) I mean, he said everyone knew it, you know, I mean, and and it wasn't like, you know, but they didn't share that back then. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't pertinent information. So, but that doesn't make it no different. That just means that. It wasn't covered the as same extensively way. Yeah. Uh, as it was, but uh, you know, uh, doing something while you're while you're playing is that any different than when you're away? I I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, you still have a lot of. people I just are, wanted to bring that up because you still have a lot of people in. that are watching you. So yeah. either way, you should just know right from wrong. Yeah, I agree. Now, real quick, the Brown schedule. Titans, Jets, Rams, they got Rams. It, it is really backloaded in the conference at the end. So yeah. hopefully the last, I mean, you got Pittsburgh Steelers, Bengals, Cardinals, Baltimore Ravens, and Bengals again, and Steelers two weeks away. So you got Steelers, Dolphins, Steelers, Bengals, Arizona, Baltimore, Cincinnati, all at the end. This could be a very exciting season. It could, could come down at the end 
to who's going to get in the playoffs. Well, I I think just from the eye test, I think it's a much tougher schedule than last year. Because even though they had a lot of tough games at the start last year, I think they're playing teams that are just a little bit better this year, like the Rams and the Patriots and yeah. some of those teams that are consistent playoff winning teams. I mean, anytime you have Seattle. The two, yeah, anytime you have the two teams that were playing in the Super Bowl last year, plus you have to play the Steelers twice, you have to go through the division. Right. It's, you know. I, th- uh, I say 11 of them, they win. I think 10 or 11. I think that's fair. They beat the Titans. I think on the low end... They beat the Jets. I think on the low end, it's 9, and on the high end, it's probably 12. That's what a lot of people have been saying. I I, I don't want to get too overconfident about it, because I still want to be like pleasantly surprised by everything. Okay, you know? let's say 5. No. So we could be pleasantly surprised. Let's say 7. No, let's say 5. I Maybe predict five, they'll I win 5 games. That way we could be pleasantly surprised. I think 10 is fair. <laughs> I do. No, I do. I do. Okay. Because right. because I still think that there's, I mean, there is a learning curve for a lot of these guys still. I mean, they brought in a lot of guys that know how to win. Yeah. You know, Beckham and, you know, Jarvis Landry knows how to get things done. And Baker's been a winner his whole life. That's the thing that bothers me when I hear people criticizing the Browns for, like, you know, they don't know how to win. Really, Baker Mayfield does know how to win. All he did in college and high school was win. I get that it's different when you get to the NFL, but winning doesn't change. The well, things you have to do late in a game to win a game are relatively the same. It's a difference when you have success, though, at this level. There's a difference between wanting to win and knowing you can win versus expecting to win. And I think the great teams expect to win. And that's where the Browns have to get. They have to win some of these games, like the Rams, maybe, or like the first two games of the year against the Titans and the Jets, to start expecting it. Aren't there traits, though, and last thought here, because I know you have to get to a break. Yeah, we got to go. But traits that come with winning. I mean, if you've won your whole life, there are traits that you can't get rid of. If you're a winner, yes, you have those traits. but, but But at each level... You have to experience it over again. Real quick, I wanted to say next weekend we will be doing those two high school games over at Paul Brown Tiger Stadium. I know that that's your prize today. So it I is the prize. Put that out there that we'll have both those games on the stream. And when we so. come back, we're going to get answers about juvenile, uh, juvenilely charged, in this case, the case of Sylvia McGee, We're going to talk to attorney Donald Hicks from uh, Summit County about the difference between a juvenile case like this and an adult case. We're going to get the answers to that when we come back. Stay tuned. Again, you know, if you're like me, um, this case with Sylvia McGee um, is, is frustrating from the fact that you know, you can't mention the, the young man charged. And we don't know the whys and hows. Maybe, maybe it's more than, you know, it, it, it is, this is normal for even an adult case. But it's a little bit frustrating because of the fact that you have a 14-year-old girl who was killed uh, in our community. 
uh, allegedly by a 13-year-old who has been charged with this. And, and there's so little to, to know. You, you want to know why. You want to know how. And 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 I, I don't know if there's a difference, but I wanted to get into this whole juvenile thing and, and how it works. And we've got the perfect person for this, and this is Attorney Donald Hicks. Uh, attorney in Summit County with over 36 years of uh, conducting 250 jury trials, more than 250. He's certified by the Ohio Supreme Court to serve both trial counsel and appellate counsel in death penalty cases. He has defended many individuals in serious felonies and death penalty cases throughout Ohio and is authorized to practice um, in death penalty cases throughout Ohio. He is authorized to to uh, practice within the United States Federal Courts, United States Courts of Appeals, and the United States Supreme Courts, Court. And we are very grateful that uh, you have taken the time this morning, uh, Don, to be with us and to talk about this and to answer some questions. Appreciate it. I thank you for reaching out to me and, and to uh, allow me to participate on your program. I appreciate it, Don, and, and I thank you. Uh, the, ca- the case of Sylvia McGee is frustrating from, from multiple perspectives. It's a 13- and a 14-year-old, but also the fact that we know so little of who, how, and why. Um, why is this different, or is it different, with a juvenile, in a juvenile case? Juvenile laws have always taken into consideration the age of the offender. Uh, an individual under the age of 18 uh, will will almost always uh, start out in the juvenile court system any time there is an allegation of, of wrongdoing. Uh, we don't we don't refer to uh, juveniles committing crimes. We, we allege that they are delinquent, and we, we would reference it against an offense if committed by an adult. But we typically don't use the words guilt in, uh, uh, we don't use the word guilt in juvenile cases uh, out of uh, concern for the, the, the youthful age of, of such an offender. Yeah, but Don, even if that offender commits an egregious crime, uh, uh, an adult-like crime, such as this in the Sylvia McGee case, it, it still seems why why so much deference to the to the alleged defend uh, defendant in this? <clears throat> Point out we don't have. Uh, great amounts of information regarding this youthful, this alleged youthful offender. We know that he is 13. Uh, typically, I believe it is primarily through uh, journalistic standards that we don't uh, use the name of, of such individuals, even though there, there are certainly methods by which we can find that out. But we, we don't uh, use the names of, of such uh, youth. Uh, 
we don't know this this individual. We we don't know his uh, circumstances of his upbringing. We don't know the circumstances of the uh, situation that that would allow him to get access to a weapon uh, and uh, be charged at least within the juvenile system. Okay, let, let me ask you this, Don. I want you to. We're talking with with Attorney Don Hicks. Uh, a uh, very well-respected attorney and uh, being honored by the Akron Bar Association um, at, a, at a banquet coming up in May as, as, uh, for his dedication uh, to the legal profession and everything. So I, I, I want to ask you this. Isn't this way of thinking from kind of a bygone era when young people didn't commit these types of crimes, uh, and and shouldn't they? Shouldn't this thought be changed to reflect the intent and nature of the crime and the fact that these crimes, such as the killing of Sylvia McGee, are happening far more often and at a younger age? Shouldn't it be changed a little bit? We have undergone some changes in the last uh, fifteen years or so within uh, the, the laws of Ohio, as, as well as nationally. Uh, I, I don't mean to imply that uh, there's any kind of substance uh, abuse or drug issue in this situation here. But I, I do, I can say that the impact of uh, drugs on our society, I, I have a I have a, an opinion that probably 90% of crime has a drug or alcohol connection. I'm not saying it applies here, but perhaps in the culture and the circumstances in which uh, this youth that we're speaking of uh, has been involved, there, there may be uh, aspects of uh, parental neglect. He, he may not have uh, existed in, in circumstances that, that would ever allow him to to reach his full potential. I, I get that, but that that happens in adults too. I mean, you could use that that logic in anybody who commits a, a, a serious crime like this, who who has the ability and has the will to take someone's life such as this. You can say that about anyone. You're you're correct. But we have what we know is is a 13-year-old. Yes. Under the laws of Ohio, he he could be sent to the Department of Youth Services if uh, determined to be delinquent of these charges uh, until he's 21. Uh, we don't know what efforts within our society might, uh, and in our our particular community and in our state, what efforts might be uh, able to be applied to to help uh, reform this uh, this youth. Yeah. Now, I have heard many times, Don, that, and again, we're talking with Attorney Don Hicks of Summit County, uh, I have heard many times that if convicted, the killer would only serve, if he were uh, convicted or delinquent, considered delinquent in this, he would only serve a sentence until he was 21. But I also read somewhere that the judge has the option 
to tack on more years after that. What is, what is the truth in this? Going back to the changes that have occurred uh, nationally over the last uh, couple of decades, we have, we have seen the application of what we call a blended sentence in many states across the country. A youth could be, in Ohio, a youth could be sentenced to the Department of Youth Services, which is, for all purposes, the juvenile prison system for Ohio. A youth could be sentenced until 21. But a judge could apply additional time and uh, add on uh, a, a prison sentence where a youth could be transferred into the adult prison once he reaches 21, he or she would reach 21. Is that the case in Ohio? Yes, it is the case. Okay. Yes, it is. So he could get life in in prison? In theory, he could. I can tell you that uh, within the juvenile court system where, where a, a youth is... Uh, being, uh, the, the issues are being addressed at this time, there will be psychological evaluations, there will be uh, uh, other, uh, other services put into place in order to fully assess the, the circumstances that brought this about. But so that the sentence could be changed if this judge, say the judge, and I'm just speculating, Say the judge uses that and says, okay, we're going to give this person, he's going to be in juvenile detention till he's 21, and then there's going to be 30 years on top of that. Yes. Could the person then get out at the end of 21 if the psychological testing and everything proves that he's rehabilitated? Yes, he could. Okay. Now, can a 13-year-old, in blatant cases like this, if this person, if everything holds in this case, and I'm just, again, speculating, but if, if, this, if this person or any person committed a crime like this and is found guilty, now you, you can't be guilty, delinquent, yes. can that person receive the death penalty? No. Never. Never, and and we have uh, uh, fairly recent United States Supreme Court decisions which uh, have said we cannot uh, impose the death penalty on someone who is under the age of 18. Okay. Uh, I mean, I had some connection with the Brogan Rafferty case, which was the Craigslist case mm-hmm. that uh, occurred there south of, of the county where you're at. Yes. Uh Brogan was processed through the Summit County Juvenile Court initially. He was 16 when uh, the offenses uh, that, that were at issue uh, occurred. And But Brogan at no time was ever uh, at risk of, of a death penalty. Uh, but he, what did he get? The, the other uh, individual... Uh, is on death row. Okay. But Brogan, did he receive only till 21? Brogan's case was, again, because of the age of Brogan at 16, that put him in a different category 
than the youth that we are speaking of who is age 13. Okay, I get it. I get it. It's interesting. Uh, I, I appreciate the answers. I think you've cleared up much of this with us. And uh, I can't, Attorney Hicks, I can't thank you so much, or I can't uh, tell you how much we appreciate you taking Saturday morning to be with us and answer some of these questions. Well, I thank you again for asking me to take part. Thank you, and uh, good luck, and congratulations on your being awarded the uh, Senior, Outstanding Senior Lawyer uh, by the Akron Bar Association. I appreciate you mentioning that, and uh, it, it, uh, it's humbling to be, to be recognized, but thank you for your words. Thank you so much, and you have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Well, before I get into the Mueller report, I feel like I kind of left you, I left you hanging there, but you think he's he can go step in and play now? I just think with the way that the NFL works anymore, where players are drafted and then put in, I don't know that he'll be ready for it, but I think that he could play now. I mean, there. Have been oh yeah, anybody? Uh, which call played now? Deshaun Kaiser. I mean, there have been quarterbacks with less, you know, less under their belt than him. I just. But think to that, be successful, sure. I think he has all the tools, though. Oh, he you does. Know, you know, compared to compared to other guys that have come out and been kind of raw, he has every tool in the book that that he needs. He, well, every physical tool. Sure. He's got a strong arm. He can make every throw. He's big. He's strong. He can avoid. He he's slow. I mean, he ran a five flat. But I mean, I wouldn't call that slow. But he's got escapability within the pocket. Yeah. He knows how to move. He's like Ben Roethlisberger. I was just going to say, I, I think it's not just the number seven that takes you to that, but right. his playing style is very similar to yeah. His arm is just so huge. And, I think so, too. But uh, but but the difference is, Ben Roethlisberger played four years for a long time. Yeah. He, he got to know how to play. He experienced a lot more. I don't think that Haskins, I think Haskins needs to go into a situation, and Meyer even said it, you know, is he ready? I don't know. But sooner or later, he will be the face of the franchise. Well, yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. As a guy who was a fan of his when he was in college, I think it would be great for him to sit behind Eli Manning for a year. I think that's the one that's going to happen. I really believe that the Giants will draft. You, I mean, Haskins. if you're if you're a quarterback and you're coming in as a rookie, sitting behind a guy like Eli Manning who's won two Super Bowls, what more could you ask for? I agree. It's a perfect I agree. situation. I agree. So now I don't feel like I left you hanging anymore. Now back to more of the week that was with Joe Palmasano. <laughs> Thank you. I wanted to get into the the Mueller report came out. I, I uh, you know, there's been there's been so much. It, it just continues. It continues. I mean, let's look at the excerpts from directly from the Mueller report, not what uh, Attorney General Barr said. When it comes to the IRA, the IRA was the group of people who put out all the stuff on, on social media and everything, who orchestrated this whole social media thing. In the report, the investigation did not identify, quote, the investigation did not identify evidence that any U.S. persons knowingly or intentionally coordinated with the IRA's interference operation. When it came to uh, the Trump campaign and affiliated with anything, 
The investigation did not, however, yield evidence sufficient to sustain any charge that any individual affiliated with the Trump campaign acted as an agent of a foreign principal within the meaning of the FAR in terms of subject to the discretion and control of the government of Russia. So when it came to contact with the Trump campaign, the investigation examined whether these contacts involved or resulted in coordination of a conspiracy within the Trump campaign in Russia, including with respect to the Russia, Russia providing assistance to the campaign in exchange for any sort of favorable treatment. Based on the available information, the investigation did not establish such coordination. When it came to Carter Page, However, the investigation did not establish that Page coordinated with the Russian government in efforts to interfere with the 2016 presidential election. When it came to Cohen and the president saying or telling Cohen to testify a certain way, this is directly from Robert Mueller. The president did not direct him to provide false testimony. Cohen also said that he did not tell the president about the specifics of his planned testimony. When it came to Manafort, office did not identify evidence of a connection between Manafort sharing polling data and Russian interference in the election, which had already been reported by U.S. media outlets at the time of the August 2nd meeting. The investigation did not establish that Manafort otherwise coordinated the Russian with the Russian government in any election interference efforts. Post-election period contacts. Uh, the investigation did not establish that these efforts reflected or, or constituted a coordinated effort between the Trump campaign and Russia in its election interference activities. The office, and it goes on again, the office did not identify evidence in any interaction of coordination between the campaign and the Russian government. Now, as far as now the the noise is, we we want the unredacted reports. We don't want it redacted. We want the unredacted uh, reports. Well, if people listen to Bill Barr, the attorney general, he said over and over that President Trump did not want, or his attorneys did not want any influence in what was redacted. He also said in an effort Quote, in an effort to accommodate congressional requests, we will make available to a bipartisan group of leaders from several congressional committees a version of the report with all redactions removed. I I don't get where this is a news story. He said it. And it continues, we want to, this is, we want unredacted. Well, they're getting it. Bill Barr said it in his press conference. Now, the reality in all this 
is that Russia did dangle a bait, but no one took it. The, the findings of Mueller, after two years, after 500 witnesses, the findings stand as a refreshing testament to the character of our people and the sanctity of the election. You think that people would be excited, that we would be celebrating that no American worked with a foreign government to interfere with an election. Yet far too many are actually upset about this outcome. Really? These people wanted it to be true. They wanted it to be true that Russia actually worked to sway our election. Think about this. There were many that would be happy to find out that our president, the president of the United States, was really some Manchurian candidate and a puppet for a foreign government. Why weren't these people overjoyed when Bill Clinton got $500,000 for a one-hour speech in Moscow and the Clinton Foundation received over $100 million in donations right before Hillary Clinton influenced the sale of 20% of our U.S. uranium to a Russian company. These people should have been overjoyed for that. But certain facts never go away no matter how much denial they embrace. The sweeping Mueller investigation ended with zero indictments of zero Americans for conspiring with Russia over the 2016 election. Both Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, the key participants in the Trump Tower meeting, testified for hours and yet were never charged with perjury, lying, or instruction or obstruction, even though Mueller proved how easily he would indict anyone who lied as part of the investigation. And this massive investigation simply did not establish any of the conspiracy theories that huge parts of the Democratic Party the intelligence community, and the U.S. media spent years encouraging the public to believe. More important now is the hope that the other side of the story will be investigated with the same intense scrutiny. America needs to know whether law enforcement and intelligence agencies tried to tip the election to Clinton and undermine Trump's presidency. So it matters not whether we are at the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end. All that matters is that sooner or later, somehow, some way or another, 
America gets the full unbiased truth of what happened in 2016. And it wasn't, we know now, any collusion with a foreign government or any obstruction. And to continue the charade that suddenly Bill Barr, who everybody said was a great person, now is a puppet of President Trump, and that no unredacted, that they demanded unredacted report when Bill Barr said in his speech that he will give Congress a bipartisan group in Congress on both Senate and House an unredacted copy. This needs to stop. And we should be celebrating. Instead, too many of us are upset that we don't have a Manchurian candidate as president. Stay tuned. The week that was will continue. You know, this story just absolutely blows me away. And um, I get continually. And I hope we never stop being shocked by this. And that's why I'm bringing it to your attention in case you, for some reason, hadn't heard it. The Mall of America, uh, less than a week, or around a week ago, the Mall of America had only been open 17 minutes last Friday, past Friday, a week ago Friday. 17 minutes when the screaming started. On the first floor, lying face up between the escalator and the Coors store, was a five-year-old boy. He had been thrown off the third floor balcony by a stranger. By a stranger. Mother took her five-year-old son to the mall. A man who said, authorities say, was looking, just looking for anyone to kill. I just need to kill someone. Walked up to the boy, threw him off the third floor of the Mall of America. The boy remains in critical condition after suffering multiple fractures, massive head trauma, um... They set up a GoFundMe page. They've already raised about 660000 But this story absolutely sickens me. I mean, there's there certain things that are, that are precious. My mother used to take me downtown all the time in Akron. We used to get on the bus, go downtown. I'd hang out with her, hold her hand, shop walk around, look at things. Never even thought that anything like this could happen. It It is absolutely shocking and appalling. But this is where we've come. That a person could walk into a mall and say, I'm just looking for someone to kill. Because I hate myself so much. And life doesn't mean anything to me. And I'm going to, because of that, instead of taking my own life, 
I'm going to take the life of a five-year-old boy. Unbelievable. We'll be back. There's other stories I want to get to. Uh, Notre Dame. I want to talk about that. What else is going on in France that, uh, that, that maybe is not being reported as much as the fire at the Notre Dame Cathedral? Stay tuned. Before we move into Notre Dame, that was a great point. That was a very great point, John. Thank you. Astute. I appreciate that. Um, and they, just, I, they, they said when LeBron went there, they didn't want to become that. Yeah. They said they were going to be different. Well, they're meeting with Ty Lu, who I don't know what LeBron's relationship was like with him. I don't know what LeBron's relationship has ever been like with the head well, coach. Well, Ty Lu lets LeBron be coach LeBron. the team. Yeah. So that's step one. Step two, they apparently want to talk to Kyrie in the offseason. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure they're going to throw a trade at the Cavaliers for Kevin Love. Kevin Love, yeah. And then before you know it, the big three will just have migrated out west to L.A. That's so true. That's a great point. That's a great point. It is, uh, by the way, for the game today, you're looking at uh, 61 degrees today, a high, uh, mostly cloudy, a couple of showers, so it'll probably be good. They'll probably get both games in. Tomorrow, or Monday, um, well, today and tomorrow are both the same. High of 61, high of 58 tomorrow, low of 43 at night. So next two days are going to be kind of grimy, cool, before it goes to 70. How's come it goes to 74 and sunny on Monday when we got to go back to work? Well, by the way, um, you know, a big story this week was the fire at Notre Dame Cathedral of Paris. And, um, you know, it was so much history, so much in that, in that church. You know, that... The, the cathedral was begun in 1160. 1160. It was completed, largely completed, by 1260, though modified frequently. Um, in the 1790s, it suffered some desecration uh, during the French Revolution. Much of its religious imagery was damaged or destroyed. In 1804, it was the site of the coronation of Napoleon, Emperor of France. Uh, Just unbelievable history in that church. And so sad. It was so good to know that there were some heroes in that couple priests and other people who saved all of the religious relics and, and much of the uh, the stained glass windows were saved. Those things like that were, were, were saved. And firefighters worked 12 hours to put that blaze out. But if churches were also getting vandalized in France over a period of, a t- of time, why weren't those publicized? <clears throat> is it a news story if a church is set on fire or vandalized in some other way? What about the string of incidents? What happened if, 
if if it happened five times or ten times or twelve times, what if there are flames pouring out of one of the world's most iconic cathedrals, and it's a Monday of Holy Week? Then it becomes news. But why isn't it? It's suspicious to me. And people are accepting the fact that, oh, it was just a construction fire. But what else has been going on in Paris? What else has been going around around the world? A rash of fires and acts of desecration inside Catholic churches during Lent even in a country with a recent history of terrorism, somehow didn't warrant any kind of attention from the American news media. Even major news organizations, such as the Washington Post, were late to cover it and only did after running religious news service story. That brings us to Monday's fire at the cathedral, where a massive blaze engulfed the 12th century Gothic house of worship. It's too early to tell if the incident is part of an earlier wave of vandalism. But it certainly comes at a strange time and must be considered. For now, officials say the blaze remains under investigation. Would it be too crazy to assume that there is a connection between all the fires and the acts of vandalism to this? In fact, let's open the story with this. Vandals and arsonists have targeted French churches in a wave of attacks that has lasted nearly two months. More than 12 churches in France, Catholic churches have been hit since the beginning of February with some set on fire while others were severely desecrated or damaged. St. Sulpus, for instance, the second largest church in France, in Paris, I mean, after Notre Dame Cathedral, the second largest, had a large wooden door on its southern transept set ablaze on March 17th. Investigators confirmed on March 18th that the fire was started deliberately. In early February, the Church of Notre Dame in Nimes, or Nimes, near the Spanish border, Intruders drew a cross on a wall with excrement and stuck consecrated hosts in it. It, This has been going on in France since February. And yet, it hasn't been reported in this country. You know, it has been touched on. Prior to Notre Dame, did you know that there were 12 churches in France, Catholic churches, that were set on fire or desecrated? Reports indicate in France 
that 80% of the desecration of places of worship in France concern Christian churches. And in the year 2018, this meant an average of two Christian churches per day in France were desecrated, and 12 since February. In 2018, the Ministry of Material in France recorded 541 anti-Semitic attacks, 100 anti-Muslim attacks, and 1,063 anti-Christian attacks. And yet it's not covered. I think when you look at you look deeper into what happened at the Cathedral of Notre Dame, Paris. And you have to wonder, is this part of a string? And why isn't it reported as part of a string? We don't know yet, but it seems awfully odd. We'll continue with the week that was. We want to talk about uh, something that is going on uh, in our... I told you about this. The, the, some of the people like Bernie Sanders who want to soak the rich to pay for more, and they compare it to places like Canada and Denmark and different people. They want to use that model. Well, does that model really fit into what they're talking about? We'll see right after this. You know, I, I hear this as the election of 2020 approaches, and you've got everything going on in both parties and people vying for nominations or in the Democratic Party right now. And many of the Democratic Party leaders and presidential candidates, some of them, often tell us that we could have significantly more domestic services and pay for it by hiking taxes on the wealthy and large corporations. If it were that simple. Ask Bernie Sanders and different people what sort of America they want to build. And they'll give you examples of things like uh, other countries. that The Finnish education. The Canadian single-payer health care. European public transit. The list goes on. Senator Bernie Sanders is the most open about his dream. He said that he wants the land of the free and the home of the brave to look a lot more like Denmark. What what these people and what Bernie Sanders fail to mention, however, is that the Finns, Canadians, and Dane pay for their services the old-fashioned way, with higher taxes on everyone. I looked at this. Denmark, in fact, the perfect example of the logical conclusion of Sanders' dream. He says this all the time. Denmark was long the highest tax country in the world until France surpassed it in 2017. The country as a whole as a whole, everyone, 
pays 46% of his gross domestic product in taxes, much higher than the United States, 27%. They get this high level of revenue by taxing everyone, ordinary citizens, at extremely high levels. It's true. They don't soak the rich. They tax everyone. And and you may like this, but understand that in these systems that many of our candidates say they want to have, everyone gets taxed at 46% average. Take the income tax in Denmark. Danes making, say, a bit more than $42,000. Danish crones. 42,000 Danish crones. That's not much money. They pay 56.5% marginal income tax rate. That sounds fine until you learn that it takes... 6.6 crowns to equal one U.S. dollar. Crones. So, that's 42,000 crone income is equivalent to a bit more than 80,000 a year. These Danes pay 56.5%. The taxes don't stop there. The Danes also pay a value-added tax of 25% on almost everything they buy or consume, including services, clothes, smartphones, even everything, 25% added. Canada, combined corporate tax rate is the same as ours, about the same as ours, 26.8%. Quebec's 58% isn't much higher than America's highest combined tax rate. California's 50.3%. So why does Canada have a universal single-payer health insurance and we don't? They get their health care because those high marginal rates kick in at a much lower income. Quebec's uh, top rate of 25.5 or 75% is at about 106 Canadian dollars or about $79,000. So what Americans are paying, what average Americans are paying is much less. Half of our country literally does not pay taxes, fall into a group where they do not have to pay taxes. Whereas in these countries, Canada, Denmark, all of these countries, everyone, a person at 79000 a person at 80000 a person at 45000 are paying tremendous amounts of taxes for the services that they get. Now, nobody mentions this. Nobody mentions this. So when you hear someone compare us and want us to be Denmark, 
and want all these services. Understand that you as middle class will also must be paying higher taxes or else we will just charge the the wealthy and then the wealthy will shut down and the corporations will once again shut down move out of the country <clears throat> so when you hear it understand it and understand what they mean and research these things yourself and find out what it means uh, when we start raising taxes and we get compared to Denmark and Canada. Stay tuned. The week that was will continue right after this. By the way, I sang with the raspberries. I actually sang with the raspberries. Were you the one blueberry? No. That's who this is. No, I know. This is Eric Carmen and the raspberries. I was just saying. I sang with them. Before I got thrown off the stage in Kent <laughs> at the at the at JB's and Kent when I was probably eighteen years old, I sang with the raspberries. I shouldn't have been in that place. I was maybe I was a little bit older, but I sang with them, and I wouldn't get off stage. I went up to actually sing Obladi Oblada. They invited a Obladi, group of people. Obladi Oblada. Yeah. But I, after the end, I just kept going, ha, ha, and I wouldn't get off stage, and I finally got thrown out. Do you think you were James Brown? Yeah, I. It didn't fit. Get but up I off was just, of that thing! I know. Get off. <laughs> so in the in the past, I wasn't quite. They um, were like the raspberries and this yeah, one blueberry like, over get him, here. Get him off stage. Um, somebody told me this week. I thought this was this is secret of life. Somebody gave me this. One of my friends told me this. And it's a saying. But listen to this. If you raise your children, you can spoil your grandkids. Now, wait a minute. Okay. But if you spoil your children, you will raise your grandkids. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> Isn't that the secret of life? That is. That's interesting. Yeah. I thought that was... Uh, that was very profound. I'm sorry, I had like a Judge Smales moment there. I was like, whoa. Mm, mm. How about a Fresca? I know. <laughs> Denny? I, I read a story this week also about for the health health of your cat, you should keep your cat inside. Really? Yeah. I'm I had a Siamese cat for twenty one years though, and that cat was always outside. Always. It got lost in the woods of Georgia when I coached down there for three days. And this cat lived 21 years. So I don't know if that if that's true. But it says pet cats allowed outdoors are nearly three times as likely to become infected with pathogens or parasites than those confined to quarters. Now, isn't that common sense? Yeah. Do you think cats have a separate room in our houses where they, like, go and they keep track of how many of their nine lives they've used? I know. <laughs> like, they, like, go and hide somewhere and they, like, they, like use their one paw and they're like, no. <laughs> they just, like, make, like, a scratch in the wall. Oh, and you, like, go funny. to that point in the wall and it's like, why is there, like, five 
scratches here. Cats are unique. They're very unique. Yeah, you know they know. They're smarter than you. Oh, they get it. They Well, I was Allie was telling me last night that she read somewhere that cats think that humans are cats that are just really dumb. <laughs> Like, they look at you and they're like, why is this cat <laughs> talking to me like this oh. and acting like I'm the dumbest thing in the world? Oh. Like, I'm clearly smarter than this thing. It can't even provide for itself. <laughs> I have to bring it, like, rats and stuff to eat at night. Oh, my God. My, my cat actually brought a dead bird into bed <laughs> with us one time that it like look look what i did oh and then they're so proud i know chest out and they're like oh it's a dead bird now the other day i think it was thursday i was out walking my dog and my neighbor was talking to her cat so i came back in and when i i got both of my dogs together and i told them and and we had a great laugh about it. <laughs> was that the cat's meow? Yeah. Yeah, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I um what what are your I I I had another story that about childhood memories. Oh. They were ranked a survey of the most most common childhood memories. And I agree with number one. All right, let's go with number 10, getting a pet. Yeah. We we really didn't have many pets because my, my dad was always allergic to, to pets. So okay. we kind of had to, you know. So you had like roaches and things. We had fish. Fish, okay. It's really fun to take care of a fish. <laughs> Especially when you take them to bed with well, you. We were really creative, too. We named our goldfish Goldie. So my brother oh, and I, wow. we thought outside the box on that you one. You really did. We were like, hmm. That was the start of your creativity. It was. I, I look back on my life and I say, damn, Goldie. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it all started. Uh, all right. Number nine, playing on the playground. Yeah. A lot but of fond memories. Playgrounds have changed, though. Playgrounds were not politically correct back then they were sturdy metal steel the the slides were real high you had to climb up a long ladder they had monkey bars they had the spinning things that you could get caught under they were always (laughs) built on asphalt flooring people fell off broke their arms you know, you get up on the slide, you go down backwards, you go down head first, and you hit the asphalt coming off of it. <laughs> you know, they think about this. The swings oh. were were huge. I mean, you could go, you could swing 15 feet in the air. Well, not just that, but also the sides of the swings were always rusted to the high <laughs> heavens. So, like, you'd get off those things, and you'd look at your mom and be like, Mom, my hands are... My hands are a different color now. Uh, playgrounds were different. They were different. All right. Learning to ride a bike. Yeah. That was a big memory. I remember that. I remember that I saw my brother mess up riding a bike, so I knew not to do that. Yeah. So, like, I never had to use training wheels. Oh, you didn't? I just watched him. And, like, by watching him, I was like, that's not that hard. He's fallen off of it a couple times. Well, you were, like a, you were like a bike prodigy. 
Some would say that. Buying candy. <laughs> See, that wasn't, I bet, big for you, but it was huge for me because we had neighborhood stores. Yeah, see, we that that had kind of gone out of, yeah. out of fashion. We had Manos. We had Lee's Drugs. We had these family-owned little grocery stores that were in our neighborhoods, and they always had wax lips. Yeah. They always had uh, all those little bottles of things that you bite. Yeah, the, the, the wax bottles. Yeah. They had uh, the the dots on the paper yep. that you pulled off. They had all those things. You know, there's a place up the in The cigars. Cleveland. Yeah, there's a place up in Cleveland, uh, downtown, that still makes all of those candies. Yeah. We had them in our neighborhood. So buying candy was, was... I'm just saying, if you wanted to ever relive some of your childhood. I never got an allowance. Getting allowance is one, but I never got an allowance. Yeah, we never... Losing really a, a tooth now got me money, so but not sure much. That- you were like, hey, Ralph, why don't you punch out a couple more of my yeah. teeth? <laughs> Playing in the park. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 we used to go play football in the park. Yeah. We used to go down to the bowl at Jennings Junior High. Okay. And that's where we did. Um, hearing the music from the ice cream cone truck. Oh, my gosh, yeah. yes. That was a that was a joy. That's still something that, like, if you're sitting at home and you hear the ice cream truck off in the distance, like, you still bring like, back, oh, it brings it's a party back, outside. I know, it brings back that memory. We had the ice cream co- truck, but then, I mean, the, the ice cream cone, not the ice cream cone, we had the popsicle truck for most <laughs> of the time. But then, all of a sudden, Mr. Softy came around. Uh-oh. And it was like, Mr. Softy actually was a huge truck. Where the guy parked the truck, got out of the driver's seat, went in the back, and served you cones. We never had... I mean, it was like, when that happened, whoa! Mr. Softy changed the game. He did. He was an innovator. Going to your grandparents' house. I went to my grandparents' house every day. Every day. Yeah. They lived right around the corner from me. Going to the beach. Our beach was Lake Erie. (laughs) It was! I thought you were going to say Summit Lake. And no, I was like, we, we, we went there too, but we went to to Headlands Beach. Okay, in in off Lake Erie. Okay, there was always dead fish. It was it was nasty. But it caught we on went fire there. one time. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> and Christmas with your family's number one. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's obvious. Last one is obvious. These the are thing, good ones. The thing I remember about Christmas, and you'd remember this. Do you remember the windows in downtown Akron? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I talk about them all the time. That was one of my favorite things. Yeah, and my dad with his Bell and Howell camera with the huge bank of lights that sat on top of it. That that blinded you and left you with white dots in your eyes the rest of Christmas, and and every time he played the the things, it looked like we were running at high speeds. <laughs> it <laughs> looked like that? an old silent movie. Would that have been in the days of like what sixteen millimeter film? Probably. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You put it on the reel and just might have been eight millimeter. Might have been. Yeah. It was. There it was, was ridiculous. It's, it's crazy how film it was. Bef- it was prior to cassette tapes. Let yeah. me put it that way. <laughs> now all you have to do is whip out your cell phone and I go know, to your I know. camera. It's so sad. Anyway, I wanted to get into that with you. I thought it was good. And when we come back, we'll do our contest and maybe more. Have you been using hand sanitizer wrong, by the way, John? I don't know. You're going to tell me. Maybe if we have time. Stay tuned. The week that was will continue. It is contest time, and you could win 
one pair of VIP tickets to the North-South Classic at Paul Brown Tiger Stadium next Saturday. VIP press access plus across from the home side along with a buffet lunch, dinner, and soft drinks. Games are at noon and 4. Go to whbc.com for details. Our lines are lit up. Where do I want to go with this, Stephen? Two. Stephen says two. What's your name, please? Dennis. Dennis, how are you, man? Oh, not too bad. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Dennis, did you get the answers earlier? Yep. I got them. All right. Well, here we go. What? Throw three minutes. The festive meal eaten on Passover night is called what? Seder. There you go. Who owned the tomb where Jesus was buried? Joseph of Arimathea. Yes, sir. You're a great Dennis. All right. Which disciple said he would not believe Jesus had risen unless he could see the nail marks in his hands? Uh, Thomas. Yes, because that's where they get the doubting Thomas. That's where that comes from. Dennis, you won. You get get a pair of tickets to next week's North-South Classic at Paul Brown Tiger Stadium. You get the VIP press box access. You get a buffet lunch, dinner, soft drinks, the whole thing. The whole thing, So I'm going to put you on hold, and someone will get your information, and you could come in this week and pick up your tickets. Okay. Now, I'm going to be gone. I'm going down to Dollywood on uh, Monday. I'll be gone till uh, I think we're coming back home on Friday. Okay, good. Well, you'll be able to go to the game. Yeah. I'll, if you don't, give them away. I should be able to come in and get the tickets on Friday, right? Yes, you can. Yeah. All right. All righty. Have a good one, man. All right. Thank you. Thank you, bud. All right. Have you been using hand sanitizer wrong, John? <laughs> Tell me, have I? Have you? You're supposed to rub it in vigorously until your hands are totally dry. Do you do that? I haven't. I don't do that. Yeah, typically I do. It takes less than 15 seconds. You're, you're not. If it takes less than 15 seconds to dry, you're not using enough. Darn it! Learn that. This is a public service announcement. All right, everyone. I'm going to go find oh, the Germex. He, hey, call back. Dennis, you hung up. Call back. I want He's to going thank, to use the Purell. <laughs> I want to thank John, Stephen, J. David Ress, uh, Don Hicks, our attorney who was with us today, and mostly you. Have a happy Easter. Have a happy Passover. I will talk to you next Saturday. Have a great week, everyone.